What's going on, everyone? Welcome to Round Tripper here on 89.1 WXVU Villanova Radio. It is Monday, February 10th. I am joined by Conrad Bayer, Jack Sherwood, and Matt Wood will be here in a little bit. I'm Pat Sang. How are we doing today, guys? Very good. Monday, first week after official first week down with no NFL. Yeah. Not football. I'm sure Top. we'll get into that we'll in a little bit. We'll get into that bit. in a little bit. Yeah, but good. But definitely busy. I know you have a busy week. I know oh, a lot yeah. of people have a very busy week. It never, it never stops. We got Conrad setting up his his child over there, the uh, the live stream. We did a little pre show for anyone that was interested. I think it went pretty well, except yeah, when well. I figured out that I could join it as well. Um, <laughs> can you figure that out? Because I don't think you can turn the volume down all the way. No, so there's a little <laughs> so bit of an echo. Yeah. But you know, we keep on innovating. And the nice thing about this show is you're not hearing and a mic echoing like crazy as we try to yeah. figure things out because we're just gonna go with the two mics. And there's wow. our our fourth is here. Let me just slide over. Yeah, yeah, just slide over. Not great. There's your seat right there. But, all right, so we are rearranging here and getting all set up. So I will get into some shout-outs while we do that. Shout out to Connor, Jordy, Megan, Jules, Shannon, Joe, Rebecca, Rick, Dan, Brian, Jack, Madeline, Katie, Cap City, Matt Cohen. Took him four years to listen to our show, and he's finally listening. (laughs) Four years from one of my best friends from back home. So... Uh, his happy early birthday to you. Just a reminder, I'm a day older than you, loser. Uh, Uncle Ken, Aunt Diane, Marie, Joe, Johnny, Mom, Dad, Bears, Kane, Sherwoods, Woods, Moyes, everyone and anyone. Thank you so much for listening. Instagram is round underscore tripper 23. Podcast goes live every Tuesday morning on iTunes and Spotify. Just search round tripper two words. Matt Wood, how are we doing? I'm good. I'm good. Sorry I'm a little late. I was making dinner. So what would you have for dinner? Uh, it's in a little uh, to-go box over there. It's oh. uh, rice. Uh, vegetables and salmon and the salmon I put in the oven like dead frozen so like it normally takes like 20 minutes to cook and took like 45 but oh that's we're tough. good right, we're good took out a few times adjusted we're good that's a, that's a nutritious dinner yeah you know an average Monday night Conrad would you approve of that that's yeah, pretty good yeah all right, that's, that's I dumped soy sauce on it, but whatever. Hey, it's listen, fine. we don't we don't have to talk. It's like about three that. calories and a ton of sodium. It's fine. You know, it's nothing. <laughs> Sodium's good. Yeah, I mean, you know, <laughs> kind of. <laughs> so today was a pretty special day. Pitchers and catchers reported, one of my personal favorite days of the year. And so we're actually going to start with some baseball this week because of a massive trade may have gone down last week. As when I say massive, I mean one of the bigger ones in the sport ever. That's why I said one of. Okay. One of. But Mookie Betts was traded from the Boston Red Sox to the Los Angeles Dodgers. David Price also went in that deal along with $48 million, which is a big portion of that as well. The Red Sox, in return, got Alex Verdugo, a center or an outfielder. Jeter Downs, a top 100 prospect. Connor Wong, who's a catcher, but also more of a utility guy. Uh, other part of that deal, Kenta Maeda from the Dodgers going to the Twins. Brandon Graterall going from the Twins to the Dodgers when he was originally supposed to go from the Twins to the Red Sox. Initial thoughts on the trade. I mean, I was shocked when it went through. Yeah, I had. I knew everybody was talking about a Mookie Betts trade was going to happen this this offseason, but it was just for how much and price being thrown in as well, just absolutely shocked, especially the timing of it being less than a week before spring training started. Matt, you're a Bostonian. Now, that's it. Piggybacking off that, just being a Sox fan, I mean, Mookie was still signed for this coming year anyway, right? So his contract was up after this season. And it feels like the Sox basically punted on this entire year, basically shipping off our best player for a bag of prospects who, aren't, who might be good, but not, they're not playing this year, that's for sure. 
Um, so, I mean, the Sox still got some pieces, but overall, it sounds like, you know, they've been over the luxury cap. The, the main reason they were doing this trade is they wanted to get underneath the luxury cap or the the cap, like restriction Lug- tax, taxes yeah. or whatever. The taxes they're, that they're paying. And they need to get rid of David Price contract to do that, which I totally understand. But at the same time, you're getting rid of arguably the second best player in the in the entire league. Um, when you still have him signed for another year, I know he's probably going to make a ton of money after that, but... It's just sad because it feels like they, they just punched on the entire season, even though there's some pieces left. It's, you know, it's your best player. Yeah, I think that's very true. I I don't think I was surprised when it went down as much as I was when I heard he was being shopped. I think that was the initial biggest surprise. And then, because I feel like we got some up until it happened, there were some inklings of, is it Padres, is it Dodgers? That's really, really who it was narrowed down to. But it still was, obviously, what you said. It was a huge trade, a blockbuster. It was blockbuster for one side. The other side, what Matt Wood said, you know, just getting rid of contracts, getting rid, and which is interesting too. I said one of the top players in baseball, and just punting on the ears. I think that both you guys mm-hmm. really summed it up. Pat, can you uh, can you just break down how does the MLB salary cap work? So I'm assuming there's a soft cap. There's a cap where no cap. There's no cap. There is no cap in baseball. What so it is, so where's the luxury tax? So basically, in, the luxury what their luxury tax comes in for people that don't understand it is that as we said, baseball does not have a cap. However, they try and promote competitive balance and in that if you go over a certain threshold which at this year is 208 million dollars you are taxed a certain percentage that goes on top of it so i believe if the red sox went over it they would have been an extra 20 million dollars or so that the owners would have had to pay again it's no hard it's not like the nba it's not like the nfl where there's a hard cap that you physically cannot like operate further if you go over it it's just extra money that they have to pay the other thing is the more years you go over it the more it stacks. It's, so it's just, a years in a row. Exactly. Years in a row. Exactly. Cap. So by the Red Sox now going under it, they completely reset the clock on that, which is kind of. The so so let's line. say theoretically, yeah, they're under the cap this year. Next year, they go sign go out and sign three players for, they you know, sign Mookie Betts. <laughs> yeah, it will yeah. be a free agent. Yeah. Well, not like that. But, you know, say, say what I mean. You say, say, say it's on three players for mm-hmm. $20 million each. They put some over the cap. But now because it's reset, the tax they're paying on that is much less than what it would have been if yep. they had kept Mookie and then tried to sign him to a huge contract or it whatever. It would be like an extra $5 million now as opposed to, say, twenty. It's okay. also... Just that, a that's a player. I, that's yeah. a player. Yeah. It's also draft picks. Yes. The more years after... I'm not sure the number, but after a few years of being over the over the luxury tax, you start losing draft picks. How high uh, draft picks? Like, like, I think, like, second, second third, third round. Wow. They don't touch your first rounders, okay. but they're they're still relatively high because I know that's yeah. the same reason. Because right. the Cubs were in kind of, are kind of in the situation the Red Sox were. The Yankees with Chris did Bryant. their reset a couple of years yeah. ago, and that's and the the reasoning behind it is a lot of these teams will be okay with losing that money. Like you would think with the Red Sox being that organization, the Yankees, the Cubs, such a could, big market, you could spend that money. Mm-hmm. Once you start losing draft picks, that's the problem. That's a big one, yeah. But also. A bright side for for the Red Sox is by resetting it, the the chances they sign somebody next offseason, you would think theoretically go up because that's the same situation the Cubs are in where they want to get under for this season. That way when they have all the free agents next year and when a lot of the team like Javi Baez and everybody can be signed, then they can go over again and it doesn't really affect them that much. Yeah, absolutely. So just looking at it from Boston's perspective, we'll start there. Guys that got back, especially, I'll put it in the Betts trade 2.0, we'll go with. Because yeah. when it first went through, this was going to be a complete It was bad. Disaster. Wasn't it bad? It, it was, yeah. was going to be a disaster. Now, Alex Verdugo is a good player and has potential to turn into a very, very solid player. I mean, he only played 106 games because he did get hurt last season, but hit 294 on base percentage, 
of 342, an OPS plus of 114, which is about 14% over average. So, again, a decent player. And the big thing for the Red Sox, cheap and controllable for a while because that's what they were looking for. Jeter Downs now added to the deal. Again, top 100 prospect can slide around, can play second, short, third. It's a good prospect. Connor Wong profiles more as a backup catcher from everything I've read, but does have some pop. Still, though, on Boston's perspective, it's it's not good for the sport when a team in the market of Boston has to move a guy so, of this level. So that was my next question for you, Pat, was saying that, okay, this luxury tax rule gets put in place and you start losing draft picks and you get taxed X, X amount of dollars every single year when it escalates on itself. You think the, do you think the MLB wanted to put this rule in to make it so the Red Sox had to dump the second best player in the in the AL? No, they put it in so the Yankees didn't go to four hundred million dollars in their payroll. <laughs> yeah, you know, which is which is, yeah, you get that, but at the same time, you know, if you're the MLB's perspective, you yeah. say you have you're, you're honestly, if you're the MLB, you're happy Mookie went to a big market. He didn't go to some way, someplace I don't know, like the True. the Reds. Rays. They throw a team or the Rays. Yeah, some team that's really a small market. That's not, he's not going to be appreciated as much there. But. No, it, it, it's totally fair. Why it's they have it in there as again for competitive balance because they don't want the, even though it still works that way. And that compare the Yankees roster to the Pittsburgh Pirates roster, that's payroll is about forty three million dollars or so right now, which is <laughs> unbelievable when you think about it. But for Mookie Betts, just to go through who Mookie Betts is: twenty seven year old, AL MVP in twenty eighteen when he led the Red Sox to a World Series, four time All Star, four time Gold Glover, three time Silver Slugger. Finished in the top eight in the MVP voting for four consecutive seasons. 6.8 wins above replacement last year. Almost seven wins on his own, basically, to the Red Sox. A 42 career war player for his career. Those are massive. And again, at 27 years old. The Dodgers are about to get a guy who is in his prime right now and will have the chance to extend him well into it. Yeah, and I think that's very true. I think that... Going off what I said earlier, it is upsetting, you know, for the Red Sox for such a big market for, you know, the AL East, obviously for the Yankees Red Sox matchups. But on the flip side, I think Mookie Betts has been so consistent over the last couple of years. You forget how good he is because what you just read out, obviously everyone remembers the MVP season, the World Series, but being winning all those, uh, winning all the silver sluggers, the gold gloves, all star game appearances, is it kind of gets, it's kind of go, he's getting toward Mike Trout level mm-hmm. where you just expect him to go too far. Where you expect him to go two for four every game, you know, be in the all star game starting, what is he, left field, center fielder? Left fielder? Right. Right, pardon me. Starting right fielder. So that's why, is, you know, is he, is he's gotten up to that point where it's just, he's so good, people forget how great he is. The Dodgers make this trade with every intention of signing him once oh, he becomes yeah. a free agent yeah. next year, right? Yeah. Absolutely. Like they don't make this trade without full and well know they're dishing out $375 million to the guys. Yeah. The thing is, this even, even if they just have him yeah. for one year, the deal's still worth it. Because that's yeah. how they need loaded to, they yeah. are. Not only as a roster, their farm system is beyond ridiculous. Gavin mm-hmm. Lux is their number that's one us, prospect. Yeah. He's going to start the season. You've got um, Dustin May as well as their number two prospect. They didn't give him up either. He's a pitcher. This is a win for LA, even if Mookie Betts so, walks away in the offseason. Yeah, about to say, so moving into the Dodgers, then Dodgers are are the favorite to win the World Series. It's them and the Yankees. Yeah, I think that with both sides, it comes down to pitching. Honestly, mm-hmm. because you have Dustin May. Is I think the Dodgers resigned Rich Hill. Obviously, they have Kershaw. They got rid of Kenta Maeda, which is interesting. Who was a nice a, piece? He was a he was a great over the last four postseason three postseasons. He four postseasons. He's been incredible on the back end. So that's I think it does come down to those two. I think it's going to come down to hitting, which is you know what else does Robert Manfred want? But you know the the two he's he's wanted this for a whole life. He's wanted an L.A. New York World Series, the two biggest markets, and especially looking at this with runs is look at if if obviously. 
we're looking nine months into the future or whatever, six months, seven months, a World Series in Yankee Stadium with that short porch with two teams that can hit the cover off the baseball would be incredible for ratings and whatnot. Oh, Fox is wringing their hands together right yeah. now, hoping for a, for a Yankees-Dodgers coast-to-coast World Series. And they're the two best teams in the league. I mean, that, that's the way to look at it. For Just sticking quickly with Boston before moving full into L.A., it's they're never going to get the value that they gave up for bets, and that's why I would bite the bullet and pay him. Now, listen, he's asking for close to four hundred million dollars. Right? No, he he repeat did ask. Yeah, he, he, like over the socks. The socks offered him three hundred twenty-five mil. Mookie counted four hundred and thousand. That's the second highest happen. paid player in the sport behind Mike Trout, above Bryce Harper. Now, listen, Betts deserves to be in the conversation because he's a top three, at worst, top five player in the game. That's a crazy amount of money. And the problem with Boston is that they're hamstrung by that David Price deal which they, with, that they moved over to the Dodgers. J.D. Martinez is making a boatload of money. Xander Bogarts is paid. There's just so many guys that they have paid. Benintendi just signed. We just, we just extended him. Yeah, to uh, exactly Chris Sale. To your 10, 10 mil. Yeah, Benintendi's still in arbitration, so he doesn't even yeah. get the big contract yet. No. He's going to be due for one. They kind of just had to pick and choose who they were going to have to deal, and the problem with them was that Betts was still semi-controllable with Price, that just in his arbitration number was still in the 20 millions, which he's going to make well more than that once he hits the open I mean, market. Mookie was the best player on the team yeah. other than Chris Sale making 500K at one point. Like, yeah. it was insane yeah, what we were getting nuts. for him. Exactly. So for the Red Sox, it's a tough look for a team that won two World Series this decade, four since the turn of the millennium. It doesn't look great to then have to ship out just your best player, period. So that's tough. On the Dodgers, like Sherwood was stating, wow, have they built an unbelievable roster. But the thing is, what Andrew Friedman's done, as we kind of touched on earlier, is it's not just through high-profile, high-paid guys. They've built through the farm system. And the thing with Jeter Downs, who's going over to the Red Sox and helped make this trade happen, they got him by robbing the Cincinnati Reds for Yasiel Puig. Yeah, Puig. Who then the Reds turned around and traded again and didn't get too much for him either. So this is just fantastic management. From the Dodgers, let me read out to you what their projected lineup is right now going into the season. Mookie Betts leading off and right. Corey Seager, Justin Turner, Cody Bellinger, Max Muncy, A.J. Pollock. A.J. Pollock hitting seventh. Let, let me be clear on that. Gavin Lux and Will Smith. Yeah, and mo- That's an and, unbelievable lineup. And most of those guys have been homegrown guys. I look at Max Muncy as they just extended him a couple days ago, which is great because he was a journeyman through a couple of years. Like this was his last, I think two years ago was like his last time you know making up to the mlb and then he you know he's able to parlay that into a big contract but there are a lot of guys on there like seager um seager bellinger turner what turner had a couple tough years with 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 the nationals so they definitely have they took you know during our middle school years high school being high school years kind of took a little step back and then they were able to rebuild not rebuild in a sense but we're able to get up to this now juggernaut where they do have basically everyone that lineup can hit, especially with Will Smith in the back and batting eight. Is he's a very good, he's a very good, hit, he's a very good hitting catcher. Yeah, quick edit. Uh, Justin Turner was a Met, but Matt, oh, Matt, pardon me. Yeah, no, that's, now, it yeah. broke my heart when he left the Mets. No, he was nowhere as good as what no, he was yeah. as Dodgers, but he was a good utility player uh, for them. So Dodgers clear favorite in the National League. Yeah, yeah, I would say so. Connor, do you look a little surprised yeah. over there? I just saw something, even with. This trade and getting that price contract, the mm-hmm. Dodgers might not even go over the two hundred eight million luxury tax payroll. This is what I mean by they've built intelligently. What? Yeah, 
it's wow. what Andrew That's Andrew insane. Friedman has been incredible there since they acquired him from the Tampa Bay Rays, and again acquired him because they went out and knew that they needed to just be smarter. Because the Los Angeles Dodgers, they were kind of spending a lot of money. You go back to that 2011 time when they brought in Carl Crawford, Adrian Gonzalez, yeah. another trade with the Red Sox. That's what the Dodgers used to be. But Friedman's <laughs> really revolutionized them and turned them into this juggernaut by through smart scouting and smart deals just like this. So it'll be interesting to see how they move forward. The other piece here, too, they got Brandon Grayrall from the Twins. He's he's throws 102 miles an hour. Now, he's the one that the Red Sox were a little nervous about because he's had shoulder injuries before. His physical wasn't great. Yeah, right? it, That's the it, reason the exactly. deal guy guess, got held up in the first place. But the Dodgers are in the p- position to be able to take a chance on him like that. So the back end of the bullpen, Kenley Jansen struggled last year. Blake Trinan struggled last year after having one of the best years ever, basically, a year before. Joe Kelly struggled last year. So their three back-end guys struggled, but all have high upsides. Now you add another high upside guy to it. If things click, that's a dangerous bullpen to go with a ridiculous lineup. And they have, uh, is it Julio Taylor, uh, what's uh, number seven lieutenant pitcher with glasses? Oh, Urias. Urias, yes, Julio Urias, pardon me. It described uh, him perfectly. What a description. Yeah. <laughs> no, but I, I, I could literally see him, but it was, and that's why they do have, as what you said, they were able to take, they were able to take the chance on him after giving, you know, after getting rid of Kenta Maeda, which, as we said, was a very huge prospect as well. That kind of went another the piece for that. The Twins get him. I really like what the Twins have yeah. done. Remember, they won the AL Central a year ago. They've added Josh Donaldson. Yeah, I was going to say they that. just added Kenta Maeda. Rocco Belladelli won AL Manager of the Year award. The AL Central is not exactly stacked, though. The White Sox are going to be better. The Indians are kind of in that gray area now, where the Red Sox kind of are, where they're getting there but they just traded their best piece. The Indians might trade Francisco Lindor, kind mm-hmm. of like what the Red Sox had to do. So it's kind of an interesting spot there. Minnesota's going to be good. And so that'll be interesting to watch. The other part of this deal that affected the Dodgers was that Jock Peterson mm-hmm. and Ross Stripling were supposed to be on their way to the Angels for uh, for a prospect. But the deal got pulled through the weekend because the Angels owner, Artie Moreno, just didn't want to wait anymore. I can't say I agree with him. I feel like players like Jock Peterson and Ross Stripling are worth waiting for. Now, his big thing is perception, just like how the Mets and the Yankees deal with it in New York. The Angels and the Dodgers, the Dodgers are the higher-class franchise. So he was, from everything that I've read, just concerned that the Dodgers were basically just pulling one over on the Angels, drawing the sound, be like, oh, the Angels will wait for us. They're the Angels. And they didn't because they pulled the deal. But in the long run, I feel like this is going to hurt the Angels. It is, especially, too, who they— because they have such a great team, and Jock Peterson, as I was going to say, is you listed off that lineup, and he's not even in that lineup. No. And he's a very—he had a great postseason. He's been hit or miss the last couple of years, but he's definitely a player that, if you look at the Angels, they have Trout. They have a lot of guys they there. Just signed Anthony Rendon. Yeah, that's who it was Rendon, and they have just so many. They're they're ready just to go out there and they're like ready to go out there and explode and you know is compete in that AL West, which the division isn't that great either as what it was a couple of years ago with the A's, with the Rangers, and whatnot. And I think that they 100% blew that side of it by not waiting. Well, like Stripling's a good pitcher, definitely can get there. But Jack Peterson, I think getting those two pieces would have been a huge boost to the franchise. I think in things like that, when there's two teams in one city and you, the less the lesser team has to deal with the perception of the the big brother kind of pulling one over on them. I think when you haven't really, when you haven't made the playoffs for Trout's entire career, you cannot just why perception shouldn't matter. Mm-hmm. If you go out and win, you win. Like that's what it should be. And I think adding Jack Peterson and Russ Stripling would have helped that team because they need to do something. And it's so much worse if you miss the playoffs for the 
however many they haven't won a playoff game since 2009 yeah over 10 years without winning a playoff game who cares if the Dodgers get one over on you? Like, but the thing was, they weren't. It was just it waiting. Was, it was a it's good Moreno deal. Got, exactly, it's a good deal for the Angels. The Dodgers were moving him they in were part to, to stay off. under the money because Jock Peterson is going to make eight million dollars. Exactly, and they just had extra outfielders, which is again, we keep going <laughs> back to it. insane with that Dodgers roster that and they've they been have able Chris to Taylor build. and Kike Hernandez, yes. like guys that could start on some other teams, but like that are very good utility and guys. It's it's crazy, but. All indications lead to why the Angels pulled this deal is that Artie Marino didn't want to wait anymore. And when you focus on things like that, that's why your team's never really going to win. Anything. Exactly. That feels like a Jeff Wilpon move to go back <laughs> to the Mets. That just feels like some. That's a meddling owner. Feels like it feels like he's a businessman trying to run a sports team like a business. Yeah. And it's you know you can't do it extent, no. but if you trade for players, you got. At some point, you just gotta say, "All right, man, I'll wait for you until we can yeah. make the Especially trade happen." Nothing has been. Ha- it's not like he's missing games. Yeah, it's not like by it's supposed to. It's not, not like it's the regular season. Or it's not even like he's yeah. missing spring training, where he's like learning something about the team. He's missing absolutely not. He's missing vacation time. Yeah, yeah. Like that's all that it is. It, like you're giving you're giving the players less time to find a new house. It's it's a horrible look for the Angels, and I just it's one that I don't understand because it's a move that just would have made them stronger. And when you're, as you said, when you're trying to get back to the postseason, it's the type of moves you should be making, right? Yeah. I feel like you should try to get better. An interesting thing from the Wall Street Journal that came out as we stick with baseball last week was they came out with an article on Friday about Operation Codebreaker. Yeah, Pat, so, I, I got a notification on my phone yep. today. I wanted to ask you about this. Yep. So we now have the name that that, which is hilarious. This is hilarious what the Astros use. So they called it Codebreaker. My favorite part is that it was in a binder that they wrote on it, Dark Arts, which is fantastic as related to Harry Potter. This is real life. This is what the Astros did. Um, how the whole thing got introduced in the first place, according to the Wall Street Journal, was an Astros summer intern made a PowerPoint and showed it to Jeffrey Loonhow, the then Astros general manager. And he was like, yeah, that's a pretty good idea. And that's how this thing all got started. Now, they did some further digging as well just to continue to back up the fact that the Astros clearly did cheat. This is incredible looking at their numbers. Going from 2016 to 2017, they cut their team strikeouts by 365 when strikeouts continue to go up. That's over two per game. Hmm. It's the biggest decline in the live ball era. No team has ever come close to it. Their strikeouts at home were by 242. That's three less per game. Two less per game total, three less per game at home. Makes you feel like something might have been happening at home. Yeah. No one has even... (laughs) These stats are just insane. No one has ever cut their strikeouts by at least two per game. They finished at three per game at home. It's just, it's beyond insane. Uh, Evan Gaddis improved his strikeout rate by 10%. That doesn't happen ever. Things insane. Uh, And more and more continues to come out. AJ Hinch didn't deny allegations, didn't, or didn't come out strictly and deny allegations that there were buzzers. Involved with the Astros, he basically said, I'm not going to comment on that. Which means, yes. Which means probably. Like, what do we make of this as it continues to ripple through? I think it's a like black eye for baseball. Yeah. I think and it just gets sh- worse. I think it's gotten to the point where it was shocking at the beginning, and now it's just, I think everyone's been numb to what's going on, that it's just better. It's as, I think as baseball fans, I'm rooting for more and more stuff to come out just to see how deep this rabbit hole goes. Because obviously they've been in trouble. And what you said, you look at all those stats, especially I think there was one with Brian McCann that batted during the postseason, batted like, I think it was .076 mm-hmm. away. And at home, he batted like three thirty three, And it's like that shit, that stuff just doesn't happen. No, and it's, it's numbers like that. Yeah, and that's why. Is it's, 
it's just crazy. It's just, yeah, that's just what it is in my eyes. Yeah, and, and what's wild about that too is that MLB tried to make it clear that this was a players-driven thing, but then the Wall Street Journal comes out and says, no, your general manager instituted it through the front office. And they even went as far as having, when they were budgeting out their operations for the year, in their Excel spreadsheet, there was a tab for dark arts. Huh. I, That's I, pretty I organized. I don't pretend to be a baseball fan by any stretch. Like I would yeah. follow the Red Sox, but other than that, I really don't pay attention, that much attention to the MLB. And I'm fully in the belief that the Astros, they're, they're World Series. I, you can't really strip them because they did no, happen and anything like that. Yeah. But, I mean, talk about the biggest asterisks on a franchise for, like, what, a three-year stretch, four-year stretch, however long they were doing it. Yeah. People, I mean, I don't even follow the sport. I'm like, I can't respect anything that they do anymore. People keep relating this to the steroid era. This is much worse. This, this is, is so the 1990 Black Sox. Yeah. This is Every the Black the Sox scandal. It, that was a player thing. Yeah. And that was, uh, it's it was, just not yeah. as, it wasn't as organizational. The pro- biggest problem is this was such an organization thing. And yes, probably people want to throw out just probably things like that going on maybe in every franchise. But it if to it, some extent, I think there is because ceiling science is definitely everywhere. But to the extent of you have a binder, bar, dark arts, you have an intern giving a presentation to convince your GM to do it, which is just I love that an intern. Yeah, I love. Can you imagine also, that? What way, did you do on your summer internship? Well, also by the way, an intern just, just doesn't just walk in the GM's office and sit no, down with no, a PowerPoint no. this, presentation. This came through yeah. everyone. Yeah, I, I bet you five people saw this before oh, the sure. intern shows the GM. No, Minimum, for, yeah. Minimum five people, and it's just that's why this is so much. At the beginning, I guess it was a fun argument to be this versus steroids, and which looks worse. This is so much worse. This makes it look so bad, and like like you were saying, I don't know if you can respect anything the Astros do in the future now. Until for like a maybe a decade or something until like it's until truly, those players are out truly cleaned house yeah yeah like nobody's the same like even these these guys they just hired like you have to get one or two down the road before you're clearly <laughs> stripped of this what a perfect segue man you have turned into quite the radio person as we talk about <laughs> Dusty <Wow>. Baker brought <laughs> that is not true yeah congratulations oh you're four you nailed that so the Astros brought in Dusty Baker. Wow. And, and why I think they brought in Dusty Baker is to your point that they need to rebuild that reputation. Well, so who do they go with? One of the elder statesmen of Major League Baseball. Last managed in 2017 with the Washington Nationals. 192 wins in those two years before being fired because the Nats lost in the first round of the playoffs both years as they normally do before this season. Uh, one pennant appearance with the Giants in 2002 before they lost to the Angels in the World Series. Reputation building here? Rebuilding? Here's my thing with, with, with the Astros organization at this point. And it's and I to comment on Dusty Baker, I honestly don't know much about Dusty mm-hmm. Baker, but I will say this is that all all the players that go into the next year on the Astros, I'm gonna be looking at their numbers, how they how what oh, the yeah. record is, everything like that. And next year is really going to be the, the sign because more or less the team is what roughly the same in terms of their core. Their and core. They lost Garrett Cole. Garrett Cole. That's about it. Their team is roughly the same core, and I mean they were one of the best teams like we had ever they seen. Won over hundred games. Yeah, like, the yeah. World Series. Yeah, you know they were they were phenomenal. So next year, I think you know reputation building or not, if they're able to pull it together next year and be a decent team, then you know you you question a little bit. All right, like I do see they're stealing signs, but you make an argument these players are just that talented and they are that good. If there's just like a 40-game cliff or something like that or a 30-game cliff from what they were last season, I mean, that's just, 
you can hire three managers. Like that's going to take years and years and years before you can rid yourself of anything like that. Yeah, they're, they're lucky that their roster is so talented because they're still going to win a bunch of games this year. Um, but otherwise, yeah, it would look really ugly. I think also too, if you look at it, is Dusty Baker is out for the last what two and a half years mm-hmm. of a job. He's I think seventy seven. Yeah, very old. It's, it's a one year contract. That's the thing. It is basically a bridge to just hey, we said elder statesman. Let's go out there. Let's put him out there. You know, he can go. He can shake hands, kiss babies. He can try to get them. You know, try to cover up what was going on, and then get to that next. You know, get to that next. Um, uh, the guy. You know, to take over the franchise for the next ten to fifteen years, and hopefully not sign steal. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Connor, do you have anything or you want to keep moving? Well, uh, with Dusty Baker being a clean reputation guy, when he was the manager of the Cubs, that's when the Sammy Sosa corked bat. That's when all the Cubs were kind of doing some sketchy stuff. So he is one of the older guys in the league, but he has he isn't exactly clean of of scandal stuff. But that was the things that were happening then were definitely more player based, but. It's not exactly the cleanest guy in the book. No, and it's a Just fair point. To get that in there. I think it's more. That's a, shot, that's a shot at me. Yeah, no, that, next time at me. I I think it's just more that reputation slot that you're bringing in the elder statesman, the guy that's been there, that's done that. That is normally, as as Sherwood was saying, looked at as like a really friendly guy. Oh, it's, it's old Dusty, uh, good with the media, things of that nature. I think that's why they did it because they know he can handle the scrutiny of yeah. what they're about to face, which is going to be insane. Um, one more quick note, the Boston Red Sox hired their new manager, Ron Renneke, coming in, who was the Brewers manager from 2011 through 2015, had a 508 winning percentage in those three years, or three plus years, so he got fired um, early on in, in 2015, did have a 96 win season, he was the Red Sox bench coach, so the Red Sox kind of take the same route as the Mets, where they stick with someone that was already on the staff, just to go with more of a familiarity with the roster, well, Houston goes outside of the organization, which is interesting. And like we said, it's pitchers and catchers day. They have reported uh, position players will report throughout the week. Everyone should be here by Friday the 14th. It's here. Merry I'm excited. Thank, yeah, Merry it's, it's, it's my best day of the year. Oh, my God, I'm so excited. Baseball's back. But, yeah, that's a half hour on baseball. Man, that felt really good. All right, so we are going to send it into a quick break, then get into Nova Basketball's rough week, to say the least. So this is Round Tripper on 89.1, and we'll be right back. All right, back here on Round Tripper as we get into a much more depressing topic after the week that was, and that is for Villanova basketball as the losing streak hits three for Jay Wright's squad, coming in still ranked 15th in the country. So sitting there fine. Now five Big East teams now in the top awesome. 25. Half the Big East. Yeah, yeah I did the, see that. The conference, kind of conference is loaded. Yeah, the, it's the conference is beyond loaded. So losses at Butler and a home and a home loss to Seton Hall. We'll start with the Butler game just to go in chronological order. I mean, tough to fault Kamar Baldwin with the word to even criticize Villanova with that shot. That's it was good defense from Gillespie, just an incredible shot there to sink the cats. Yeah, you can't you can't put it on that shot. Like it was you give him that shot of a step back three as the clock expires. Um and with Gillespie like in his face the entire time, you kinda just gotta give him props for that one. Um and focus on other things to so that it doesn't get to a buzzer beater to beat you. Yeah, I think I think if with 18 seconds left, it took the ball up, and if they dribble out the ball for 18 seconds and they take a step back three, okay. sign me up 100. percent of possessions with the game on the line like that. Gillespie Gillespie is pretty close too, so like that. If Villanova were to drop a shot that Butler would take, it would be that a step back, baiting back three, and Kamar Butler had a, he had a good game, but he didn't go like lights out. If I'm correct, now five for 15 for 17 yeah. points. So that that's fair. The thing with Butler is it's Hinkle. 
I think that's three yeah. out of four years that we've been here. They have beaten Villanova. For me, the concerning thing is that 57 of the 76 points came from Sadiq Bay and Colin Gillespie. Mm-hmm. And that's starting to become a theme that it's these two above all leading. You didn't have anyone else in double digits. Robinson Earl had nine. After nine, it was five from Justin Moore. They're just not getting enough diversity in their scoring right now. Did Jermaine play against Butler? He did. He played 34 minutes, but only took two shots. No. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you can't have that. No. Don't say it. Don't say say it. Yeah, we have journalistic integrity. We cannot speak <laughs> of what we see in class. <laughs> but, that was for you, Mr. Bradley. <laughs> but Samuels still appears to be kind of shaken while he's just, out there on the inside. floor. Just still appears to be shaken, especially when he goes back to the bench, still standing up, kind of walking back and forth. Who is this? Jermaine Samuels. Yep. So he's getting better. And listen, he played 34 minutes on the road. That's a tough thing for him to do. But you don't feel that he's all the way back. Even then in the game against Seton Hall over the weekend, I mean, he started with the first 10 points yeah. for Villanova. Hot. But then he didn't shoot again until four minutes left in the yeah. game. Well, it's scary, too. I mean, say, I mean, yeah, Jermaine, Jermaine Tritty played 34 minutes. I mean, who else do you roll out there if he's not playing? Uh, and that's the thing. You know? Well, you roll out Swider, but, but Swider isn't playing well. So, you know what I mean? Is it's like they're. I, mean, I don't. I don't want to roll Swider no. out a big. Oh game well, no, at but all. like not. No, no, but I'm just saying, like if he's not playing well, is like the guy that you would that you would adjust the lineup to to put out there would be more Swider and yeah, like, I like and you I can't, don't love that. And that's and that's a you thing. Is it's Samuels kind of that's why you would you would take a limp yeah. Samuels over Swider over the last two months, unfortunately. Yeah, exactly. And Wright actually made the change that we talked about last mm-hmm. Monday, which was bringing in Justin Moore for Cole Swider because Swider has been so ineffective against Butler. Eleven minutes. I mean, at least one. I, I have my issues with Justin Moore, but at least he shoots the ball. I mean, Swider's the best like, shooter on the floor. Much better than yeah, Swider he is. No, well. he no, he is. Yeah, I, I can't disagree there. But Swider's the best shooter on the floor whenever he's on the floor, and he never shoots the ball. Yeah, he he's, he just hasn't been hitting anything recently. Either. No, this, his three point percentage started off incredibly high, and it started to work its way back down. It's still good, but he's nowhere near what he was doing at the start of the season. Moving into then more that that loss to Seton Hall, three game lead now for the Hall. Big use over, regular season. Yeah, I think that's I would fine. Think so. yeah. And I think that's fine. It's kind of if you look at it, we've played well in the postseason or like I guess postseason if you consider biggest tournament, which it is. It is over the last six years we've won what four of them? I believe that one year we didn't win was the national championship year. So mm-hmm. I think that's fine. Last year we had to go through as the two seed, I believe, and the other freshman sophomore year we had the one seed. So that's fine. It's kind of like you know it's. Obviously, you'd love to win uh, double down one regular season and tournament, but if we have to go, you know, three games in three days, that's fine. It's so sad. Like, what a what a fall from grace, Demir Robinson, uh, Demir <laughs> Cosby Roundtree has had from last year. We were talking about how he might he was looking like he could, you know, pass the torch and become really, you know, a vo- not a focal point of the offense, but at least a consistent starter and a guy that can give you minutes. I mean, he's, he doesn't play. No, no, he he actually. Played a little more than I thought mm-hmm. this past week. Thirteen minutes against Butler, and he had some a little bit of minutes against the uh, against, against yeah against it, which is more Six. than I would have thought going in. But twenty-one appearances from this year, so that's two DNPs from him. Six point four um, minutes per game. But remember that you don't average in the zeros to go with that. So he's not actually. He's one of your three juniors on the team. He's not. He's not touching the one floor. One of the captains. Yeah, he is. He is one of the captains. But the thing is, usually you can see progression. I mean, Gillespie. My God, you've seen progression. Mm, yes, he's turning into a star. Jermaine Samuels. Prog- think of where Good. he was freshman yeah. year when he yeah. couldn't hit a jumper. No, he's, well, a, he's, he's, he's serviceable. No, yeah. he's serviceable. Exactly. Now you just need him yeah. to score. That's exactly. Now you need him to shoot more. Cosby Roundtree hasn't improved from. I mean, listen, freshman or sophomore year. Yeah, he, I think he had a solid yeah, season last that. year. 
it's the quickness mostly where he struggled defensively. It's not still not great from him. Yeah, he's got some size, but you don't look at him as a shot blocker with great interior defense, and that's something that he should be able to bring to the and team. And that's that's what he would. That's that's how he gets minutes on his team. It's not the scoring inside because no, no matter no matter how good of an inside presence he theoretically could turn into, that's just not how Jay's going to run the team. So it's really he has to be in there to be the like the last line of defense for that team because. For the most part, they're going to be a relatively smaller team than a lot of guys they play. I think it's tough, too, is he has played over the last couple of games. He has played a lot better, which is good to see. He has had some good dunks. He's had played better on the rim. It's tough on offense when you have him in there because basically whoever's guarding him has shaded off of him to basically double team whoever has the ball up top. Is I really got a good view of that this game because I was, I was sitting right behind the hoop and you could see him just leave. Whoever was guarding him just leave. Dada, like wherever he was and kind of start to shift up and clog the lane for for trying to penetrate or for trying to swing it around is it just puts another body you know closer to the ball which isn't great yeah no that's completely fair sticking with Seton Hall just because I think there's they're such an intriguing team so they won for the first time in Philadelphia hmm. since 1994 good for them exactly sorry no it's fine <laughs> no, I stepped on you <laughs> are they a final four contender because I have to say at first when I thought about it Earlier in the season when this would get brought up, I thought absolutely not. The more I watch them, the more I'm impressed by them. Eight quad one wins now. They go on the road and they continually get it done. Miles Powell is one of the best players in the country. Um, you go through it. Quincy McKnight is a, a very good basketball player, especially at, at point guard, able to facilitate things. Mamu Kelishvili, I'm so proud I nailed that name right there, um, is a great player for them. Only a junior power forward can stretch the floor make threes, go inside. I mean, he basically was the kryptonite to Villanova in this game, who held Powell to just 19 points on 7 of 16. That's fine. It's the problem that was that Mamu had 17 and 8 boards. I'm starting to believe more and more in this Seton Hall team that they could make a run. If they, I think they're like the Villanova teams of past where... That's what Jay said in his press conference. That's what it is. Get them out of the first round, especially, too, once you get to the tournament. I think is, is it's... Is uh once you get to the tournament, is it's fun to root for the Big East teams because you, because you see them come through Philly, as you see, and you're able to kind of root on like is you're able to root on the conference. If they can get past that first week, especially to a lot of those guys are older, and so they have experience and they and they have that chip on their shoulder of not making it out the first round, and they have a great coach. So it's kind of you know honestly, I think the sky's the limit. As you look at also too, if you look at their Big East record, they're ten and one. We're talking about how we're seven and four and we haven't played well. They're playing the same exact schedule and they've only dropped one. So it's starting school. History. That's the thing is it's like we're talking about how tough the Big East is and they're thrashing right through it. So that's so they're definitely primed to go somewhere, especially too. They might end up squeezing. I think the two seed or possibly if the chips fall the correct way, they could get a one seed and play New York City for the uh, Elite Eight, Sweet 16 and then somewhere obviously close by for the first two rounds. So they could get a really pro private crowd there to help make it like a home game, home environment to make, you know, an unexperienced team later in the tournament feel at home. Yeah, they're, they're very dangerous. They could put in the East, and then they, that regional finals at Madison Square Garden. That would not be fun for anyone that would have to play them. Yeah, I think I think they got a legitimate shot, especially looking at, because they came in this week ranked at number 10, and you take a look, everybody's been talking about how this is just, nobody really knows what's going to happen. All these teams are so even. You have the Gonzaga-San Diego State, which San Diego State's still undefeated, but their conference, who do they play? Gonzaga, their conference, who they play. Kansas, they came, they were in the same same situation that Seton Hall was playing at Wells Fargo, but they lost to Villanova. 
Uh, Baylor's really good. Baylor's but, very good. Very but good. then there's Louisville, Dayton, Duke, Florida State, Maryland. All those ACC teams. Duke should have lost. Florida State. ACC yeah. sucks. I think Florida State's Let's playing Duke tonight, by the they way. Are, yeah, they are. Uh, Duke's up three right now. Yeah. Yeah, no, the, the ACC, very usually top-heavy. This time, incredibly top-heavy, especially with UNC dropping yeah. down. And honestly, being more of a bubble team this year, which is shocking. Wait, you Carolina? Yeah. I think they're out. I, don't I think, think they're, they're out, too. Oh, I, I, even, oh, I would not put them If they're a bubble team, it's literally just because of the name. Because of the yeah. name. I'm about to say the one argument you have for UNC is that Cole Anthony's been hurt and it's yeah. UNC. That's, that's, exactly. that's, that's, that, that's their argument. That's their argument. But as, as they stand right now, I would not put them in. What's scary, them. though, is if they get healthy and you put UNC in as like one of the last teams, that is the like, like, like worst case scenario. That's the worst case scenario for anyone that's worked all season for a good seed. No, exactly. To Sherwood's point, though, you've got Seton Hall sitting there at 10 and 1. Then you uh, then you've got the mess of what the Big East is where teams are beating up on each other. Creighton Nova and Marquette at 7 and 4, Butler and Providence at 6 and 5 and Xavier at 5 and 6. They're all right there. Everyone has kind of just attacked each other. And then there's Seton Hall sitting there pretty at 10 and 1. So, the Pirates are a very very good basketball team. That was an impressive win for them coming into a sold out Wells Fargo Center over the weekend. And they are absolutely a contender as we move forward. So, sticking with Villanova, looking ahead, what a game we have on Wednesday then where the Wildcats will welcome in the Marquette Golden Eagles on Wednesday night at the Finneran Pavilion. Marquette, winners of three straight. Villanova, losers of three straight. Does Villanova have to win to get back on track here? Do they have to put in a really good performance to be able to make you yeah. bring your expectations back? Well, here's the thing. you can't. I, I would say that, too, Villanova has lost to, to the back-to-back games they've played are two very, very competent teams. And it's not like they've looked bad in either game. They lost by... A step back three against Butler, and they lost by six points to Seton Hall. So you can't say that they've played horrible. Granted, they haven't won yet. Do I think they need to play well against Marquette? I think they they will always come out on the floor at this point in the season and play well. But a win for I think a team morale boost, a team chemistry boost, and you want to see someone other someone other than Sadiq Bay and Colin Gillespie score the ball. If they can play well, play hard, and you get a third option, maybe gets 12, 13 points from whoever whoever comes from Justin Moore. Um, Robinson Jer- Jermaine, Robinson Earl, whoever it is, you get 13, 14, you know, yeah, 13, 14 points out of them. Gillespie, Sadiq play well, and they have a hard fought game. Even if you lose by a bucket or two, I, you, I can come away from that game and say Villanova's going to be just, they're going to be just fine. Yeah, I think 100% echoing that. I'm not too concerned about this team because we have lost to three teams that are ranked in what the top 21, I believe. I think uh, going back to the two week, uh, two games last week, obviously going into Hanky Fieldhouse, we always have trouble there. And seeing all at a great game. And I think that going in here is playing against Marquette, who we beat last year at home, was a really crazy game. I think we do need to win. One thing, too, that we're forgetting about is possibly the secret weapon is Jay Wright, one of the best coaches in all of college basketball. You've got to think that he is getting these guys ready to go, like, just, you know, ha- like has them going, like, watching the tape, putting in plays, making sure that they have, like, is that they're perfect out there. So I expect them Hopefully, you know, to go out to win is I'm not going to go out there and guarantee a win or, you know, projection or anything. But I think that he's going to have them ready to play as he will for every single game. But especially with a little bit more of urgency now, considering kind of where they are. And also to listed off all those other guys that need to step up. They're all very good guys that are very capable of at the beginning of the year is we have them stepping up. And especially to one last thing is I will eat my column on Sadiq Bay not being able to play in big games. I said that earlier. As I said, you look at the Ohio State game, he didn't play that well. Kansas game, I think he only put in seven points. As a turn to the new decade, new decade, new city, he has played incredible. Props to him. Is I remember when you came in, you said he had the first round draft. Great, I thought I could see it, but I mean, now 
these last couple of games, you really have. Sure, I was about to say the, the guy's going to get drafted. Yeah. At, yeah. at this rate, he's leaving. Yeah, like, like, he's which is like he yeah. is phenomenal. Yeah. Yeah. No, he's and so I was not. I I was high on him, but I thought in big games he didn't play that well. Now he's stepped Especially up from a guy that was going to redshirt last yes, year. That's the most he was recruited part. and he was told, we're going to have to redshirt you so you can grow in your frame and come join the system and, you know, figure out D1 hoop. And this guy's about to be a, a, a top 30 pick in the NBA draft a year later. Yeah. Could, I mean, that's just could, insane. Could be a lottery pick, too. It's yeah, if absolutely he, if he insane. If he moving up, he absolutely could. Yeah, was recruited in June after he dropped NC State. And uh, <laughs> I'm thinking about that. Don't know about NC State. I mean, I mean yeah. no, no knock on NC State, but I mean, NC State program. is... is it's no Duke, UNC, Kansas, sure. Villanova, that caliber kind of school, you know? Yeah, but Wednesday will be really interesting for Villanova. Obviously, you key in on Mr. Marquette, Marcus Howard, averaging over 27 <laughs> points per game. He's their superstar. After that, scoring really drops off. Sakar Adam is a decent player, averages 13 points a game. Kobe McEwen's having a, a decent year. He was the real reason why Marquette was able to sink Villanova uh, at the game Conrad was at, actually. Yeah, exactly. Just shake the head over break. No, no. Exactly. So if Nova can really key in on Marcus Howard, listen, be aggressive. Bring double teams. Make him pass the ball. Because Marquette's not great scoring once it's not in Howard's hands. The other thing is, Marquette's not great on the road. They're 11-1 and at home. They're 3-3 and on the road. That's It's also kind of crazy. They've only played six road games so far. But their scoring output drops pretty substantially once they go on the road. Actually, 3-4 on Three on the four, three and four, exactly. Yeah. So they're not a great road team. So this is really a chance for Villanova to kind of kick back in the swing of things and get going again. There's one guy, Theo John, who always plays very well when we play against them. Yeah, I know that's. I know, I know we get chuckles all that, but he has played. He seems he seems to be the type of guy that steps up in bigger games. So that is someone else to watch out for. He fouled out. I believe him and Marcus Howard both fouled out last year in the Finns. So yeah, I believe so. I'm yeah. not. I'm not a fan of Theo John. No, neither I. Am I. I think what, what he did. Listen, he's there to rebound and he's there to be a big body. And if it comes to anything skilled, he cannot do. No, it. Well, he's, 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 he's what we want Demir to be. Yeah, 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 exactly. He, <laughs> and he does. He plays his role though. Listen, he averages two Fantastic. blocks a game. So defensively, he does his job. As you, he stands up for Marcus Howard. He is the he's, first yeah, one to push yeah. someone down if you touch Howard. As and he will get perfectly. into a fight. He, he, he will, will get into a fight. You love having that guy on your team. Man. Exactly. I hate yeah. playing. And that's what I'm saying, yep. especially to him, big games. He's the type of guy that doesn't get nervous because he's like a big game. Great. is like high emotion. So I'm going to go out there and, and just be, makes his game better. That's, and that's what it is. He's like, people are going to be passive or they might be overly aggressive. And I'm supposed to just stand under the hoop and try to swap balls or grab <laughs> balls. Like, I can li- do that like, all day. Literally exactly. come at me and like, I'm fired up. So I might. Swat that ball. I might also catch your head, but like, and that's he, he's. I might throw an elbow. Yeah. That's what he does. Well, that's too. I mean, if you say make a good play and you look at your bench, you see Theo John hyping yeah. you up. Like, yeah. how can you not get ready to go after something like that? He's a guy anyone, any any team in the country would love, would to, love have. to have yeah. him. Yeah. Also, a quick thing at a Marquette because they just played Butler came came to Milwaukee yesterday actually, mm-hmm. and, they, and blew they, they blew him out seventy six fifty seven. Marcus Howard only had seventeen. Which is scary because usually yeah, if Marcus yeah. Howard has seventeen, they law averages. But that means he's coming back, and that also means uh, McEwen and Bailey are were hot. They were uh, combined eight of eleven from three. Yeah, yes. so they're just hot. if they get secondary scoring, they're a horrifying team to play. Yes, but it also means he got that bad game out of his system too, which is good. Don't say that. Yeah, he might drop 30. Don't say that. In the first half. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. he, he absolutely could. If there's anyone that can come into the Fenner and light his, it up. He's got to make up for the 17, it, exactly. which is absurd to say. But. Yeah, <laughs> the 17s are great. And I'm looking, Sadiq averages 15.9. It's like if you put in 17, yes, like awesome. Yeah, think of how good Sadiq has been this year, averaging 15.9 points. 
Marcus Howard averages over 27. Averages over 27 points a game. Marcus Howard has never seen a shot he doesn't like. That's also That's a fact. I love that. that is also I love that quote. Um, Theo John is basically a light version of Brian McMahon in the post. Is hard, <laughs> it's just absolute superstar for our team. That's actually for a great comparison. A minute and a half span. A minute, yeah, Brian does not have much stamina. They play about the basket. same. Exactly. <laughs> Brian only has like 20 minutes. I think pound for pound Brian plays bigger. He pound might. for pound, Brian will like <laughs> inch rip for off inch. Inch for inch. Oh my, I, I would love to see Brian and Theo John down there in the post. That's that would be a fight. That's my, Brian. Brian could die. That's my dream. Bri- <laughs> Brian would like inadvertently throw an elbow and be like, "Oh shoot, what, oh, happened? No, uh, what happened?" Yeah, that's, that's, I, I, I had someone, to throw that in there. Someone give me the jewel. <laughs> <laughs> and, and my dad adds in that maybe Marquette is the equivalent of the Astros with the home road splits. So there you go. Oh, um, but all right, I don't we, know. no, I don't think. Let's, let's, hope, let's, hope, so. let's, let's hope, so. hope so. Exactly, Dad. I think you're asking for Marquette to come in and Marcus Howard drop 40 now. But all right, He's we're going to throw it to a quick break, get into some NBA trade deadline, and then hit the XFL, because of course we're yes. hitting the XFL. This is a round trip around 89.1 WXVU. Nice job to mess that one up, and we'll be right back. All right, so we're going to hop into some NBA trade deadline wrap-up. It was last Thursday, and you know what? There was actually a flurry of deals. So we kind of went into it with a preview, not really knowing what to expect. Um, Conrad said D'Angelo Russell will not be moved at the deadline. I believe I did say that. <laughs> No, it, it happens all the time. It's just one thing that I remember from last week. And we're actually going to start with that deal. So the Golden State Warriors received Andrew Wiggins, a 2021 first-round pick, top three protected, and a second-rounder in 2021. The Timberwolves, Jacob Evans, D'Angelo Russell, and Omari Spellman moving on yet again. How do we look at this deal? Interesting. The Timberwolves got a whole new team, basically. Yeah, it's paired with the other moves that they yeah, made. Yeah, other moves. Um, I think it makes sense because didn't D'Lo want to go to wherever Cat was going? Pretty much. I think it made sense for that, and it made sense for Golden State to, you know, kind of rent a player for that. Because they ended up basically getting him for nothing and parlayed that into picks. But I think in both trades, so they were able to figure out a way to, you know, stay above water when all their players are injured and basically come back next year and compete for another finals. Well, Minnesota's Minnesota's also in the market of keeping Carly at the towns. His yeah. contract is mm-hmm. up. I think it's at the end of the season or next, next season. Next. next. Um, yeah. And so this past summer when D'Angelo Russell was looking to get mo- be moved from Brooklyn because they're bringing in Kyrie and, and all them. Um, Minnesota was in the mix to get to get to get D'Angelo Russell and sign him or trade him or however they were going to do it. And he ended up getting traded to a, uh, to Golden State, but this past summer they were they were in on him. So it's the guy that they've um they've wanted for a while. And but yeah, they're really in the market to keep Carl Anthony Towns. They clearly weren't winning with the Andrew Wiggins experiment. That was hmm. it's borderline one of the worst contracts in the NBA. Um and to pick up a D'Angelo Russell who's been high school friends with Carl Anthony Towns. Um now they're playing on the same team together. Another very competent player who was an all star in his own right when he was on the Nets. Um makes sense for the Timberwolves to do that. And if you're the Warriors, to be fair. You're, you're moving on from a guy who wasn't a great fit once you get Curry and Clay back. You get Andrew Wiggins, who, if you can revitalize that career, I mean, this guy is one of the most talented players in the entire NBA if he just, you know, can put it all together. And you get a first-round pick and a second-round pick. I mean, it's not – both sides, it's not a bad trade for either team. Yeah, and also with Wiggins, you don't need him to do a lot. Once those guys come back next year, you like, need, look at Harrison Barnes, what he did. I was about to say, you need the Harrison Barnes. If you can give, you yeah. can give me 17 a game, he's at, his career average, I think, is 22. You give me 17 Perfect. a game with Curry and Clay, and if you give me 45% shooting, yeah, it's like he's fine. Gonna, he's gonna play the Harrison, Harrison Barnes, and the Andre Godala role. He'll go out there, he'll be a threat as a four, as the fourth or fifth option. And you know, some games he'll go off for 30, other games, you know, he might only drop 10 or 12, but he's just competent to be able to go, go out there and you know, get a bucket when Curry or 
Thompson are, you know, either sitting down or cold or double teamed. I mean, the Warriors are going to be unreal next year. Like, they're, like, people are forgetting how good they are because they're they're all injured this year. They're going to have a high pick. They also have this trade for the top three protected pick from, um, I think that's that's not the Minnesota pick. It's like a a Hawks or Grizzlies pick or something like that. What was that, Brooklyn? Or or some, it, it's not the, the Timberwolves pick. I know. I'm, I'm pretty sure of that. Well, and they're going to. Yeah, they're going to have a high, top five pick this year too. Yeah, I mean the Warriors are going to be are yeah. going to be legit next year, and I I don't think very many people are excited to see that. Yeah. yeah, I'm just. I really like getting getting the two picks for the Golden State Warriors because player now wise, they're pretty good. They're still rebuilding the team, but like they're never really going to get anybody super high status. The Andrew Wiggins. Like you're saying, I do understand him being in that role. He fits better as in what um, what spot on the floor they need to be filled that Russell didn't do. But I'm not sure he's as good a defender as Harrison Barnes and Andre Iguodala are or were when they were with the Warriors. And I think that's going to be a big thing because I'm just I'm not a Wiggins fan in at all. And I actually think this is probably going to fail um, and they're probably going to try to move him yep. um, next year. Um, and I think that that's probably what they should do, because I I just I just don't see him. He just n- never seemed to have like the attitude of of a really legit player, and to be able to accept the accept accept the role that he's going to be of being the fourth fifth guy on this team. Um, he he's more I think he's better suited to be a fourth or fifth guy at this point in his career. Um, <laughs> he's not getting paid like it. No, no, he's getting paid as a one or a two, but he's he hasn't put up. He hasn't had the. Any season where you would think he should get paid, what he's getting paid, um, it'll be interesting to see when everybody gets back. But like, just because I don't like Wiggins that much as a player, I wonder how it's going to work in Golden State. And it just seems like they're shopping for another big name guy right now. That I they need to just revitalize that bench when they were like legit good before they had KD. It was the bench, and now they just got like another pseudo one could call star to fill that starting five instead of getting. Four or five guys that could make up that bench. No, and I, I think that's fair. So I actually lean more on, on your way of thinking with it that I don't love it for the Warriors because I just think they didn't have to move D'Angelo Russell right now. They no, didn't they didn't. Have to. No, that's that's absolutely fair. They didn't. I mean, I would move him, but I would have done it over the summer. I feel like they could have gotten a better return. Now, the first round pick's fantastic. Second round pick's valuable. That Wiggins contract is awful. And to your point on defense, I think he ranks like 370th out of like 430 players in, in defending. That's really what they're going to need because you already have Steph Curry on the floor who's a liability That's defensively. The, I, yes. Now, I think there's a chance that a change of scenery with Wiggins is huge and get in with that Warriors coaching staff that we know is so good can be helpful. But the crazy. fact that you didn't have to move Russell, but you chose this one and just listen, I know NBA teams like to take on, have to take on some type of cap hit sometimes to be able to make moves. That, that's just part of the deal. But to take on one of the worst, if not the worst contracts for it, that's that's a tough swallow, even if you are the Warriors. And I'm not sure. I, for Minnesota, I like it. Because as we talked about, Carl Anthony Towns is really good friends with this, D'Angelo Russell. This, this is the deal to get Carl Anthony Towns mm-hmm. to stay. This exactly. is that, that's what this deal is. Yeah, yeah. For, Minnesota. for Minnesota, I really like it. For Golden State, I just don't really understand it. I, you go. It could work. Listen, they got the draft picks. The... Wiggins could be better, but I'm not sure I fully agree with it on Golden State's point. One of the things that I've kind of been hearing is, so obviously the Warriors have been shopping Russell basically since he got to got to the Warriors, got to Golden State. Um, and that's one thing you have to take in consideration. If they've been shopping him for this long, they, they know what they would get for him. Mm-hmm. They know, unless you went 
off the second half of the season. Sure. They knew what they were going to get for him in the summer. So I, I'm wondering what the other like ideas out there were. And if this is the best thing they could get for him, I understand taking the deal. I don't fault them on that. I just I, I disagree that I think there had to be a better thing. They probably see Wiggins differently than I do. Yeah. But that's one thing that I don't criticize them too much because I think I value getting those picks more than actually getting Wiggins. Sure. Yep. And I would just to, just to build on top of that, once Curry went down this season, mm-hmm. this season was lost. And and the Warriors front office, basically the entire franchise, this season was down when you're down. Now you're down Clay, you're down Curry, Draymond was out for a while. This season's going to be a lost season. So now you look for next season, right? DeAndre Russell in the backcourt with a very crowded backcourt now with Clay, Curry, D'Angelo. I mean, Clay Thomas playing the three. I don't know how that's going to work. He wasn't a great fit in the organization. And now you can basically move on from D'Angelo Russell. And essentially, if you want to look at it, you get you lost Kevin Durant, who you knew you were going to lose anyway. Yep. You get Wiggins and a first-round pick. You could have done a lot worse. It's, it's true. It's, the sign-and-trade with Brooklyn helped out a lot yeah. there to be able to get that asset in Russell because Russell absolutely is an asset. Another deal then, Memphis Grizzlies take on Justin Justice Winslow. We'll take it on the contracts of Deion Waiters and Gorgie Jang. Miami Heat receive Jay Crowder, Andre Godala, Solomon Hill. What do we think? Iguodala is a guy, I mean, he was averaging six, seven points a game when he was in the Warriors last I saw. I mean, I would expect that to maybe go up a little bit. Um, he's a vet that, that can teach a team how to win in the playoffs, and that's why Miami signed him. And Jay Crowder, by the way, is a fantastic piece to add yeah, to, uh, really good to a team. He's another He's another guy. We talked with Theo John earlier. You can throw him in any team, and he's, he's going to make that team better. You lose nothing putting Jay Crowder out on the floor. And then you get, you get to dump Deion Waiters' contract. He's been doing nothing for you. Justice Winslow's been a, been a letdown since he's been there. And, uh, you know, you get rid of Georgie Dang, too, for what he's worth. I don't know yeah, anything about he's him. He's on some money, actually. All right, there he's, you go. Yeah, so they Come are some money. a little bit of cap space. Conrad? I just really like the uh, analogy to Theo Chomp because they both want to cut. Okay, I, yeah, I saw, I saw yeah. the face I, saw, I, just, there, I just so didn't I like, want to, like, get that completely wrong. But, yeah, um, I love I love this deal for the Heat. I think what Andre Iguodala put this season is disgraceful that he just didn't play for Memphis, and it was good that he got out of there. Um, but let's for, for Miami, giving up Gorgie Jang, not a huge loss. Dean Waiters, they've been trying to get rid of. Justin Winslow, good player, but nothing nothing special that hurts leaving. But Jay Crowder, Andre Iguodala, and Solomon Hill are three good players they got back. And I think adding Andre Iguodala's experience with Crowder is just like kind of like a glue guy, tough inside guy mm-hmm. to pair with uh, what they what they got going now with Jimmy Butler. I think it is is fantastic for the Heat. Yeah, well, listen, what Pat Riley's doing is he's building rosters as he always does and seemingly coming out with, with some decent deals. The one thing with Eagle Dollar that's interesting, like you said, hasn't played since the finals, sat out the entire season. So one way you can look at it, he's fresh. The other way you can look at it, he's 36 years old and hasn't played a game yeah. in almost a year. Other thing that's interesting is that they signed him to a two-year extension for $30 yeah. million, which I read... It's, a, it's really a one-year. Yes, because yeah. the two years the two, counts for the rest of this year as well as next year. And it's a team option. It's team option. And it was more of a, I think, to put it in the athletics terms, um, please don't go back to the Warriors, hmm. which is why they gave him the money, because he was going to be a free agent. He could have just left and gone back to Golden State. For Memphis, bringing on some money with Jang, and, and no one wants Deion Waiters, so they have to kind of deal with that. Didn't they cut him? Did they cut him? I'm pretty sure they waived him. He's. I'm pretty sure like the Lakers are looking at picking him up right well, now. There's my point that no one wants him if they did cut him. Yeah, I Just, don't, I'm pretty sure Deion Waiters is not on the team right now. <laughs> Justice Winslow, 
a player that's got athleticism, obviously came out regarded he's highly regarded from yeah, Duke. He's, he's a piece. If Memphis can develop him along with John Morant, you know what? For for Andre Iguodala, who wouldn't play for your team, and two older guys, I think it kind of makes sense for both teams. By the way, yes. by the way, talking about the Grizzlies for a second, I know this is this isn't exactly talking about the trade. But I was watching ESPN today, and the Grizzlies' projected uh, wins this year by Vegas was 28. They're currently 27 and 26. They're about, to be, they're about to be over their projected wins for the season before the All-Star break, theoretically, if they pull it off. I mean, that is just, that's insane. I mean, the Grizzlies are, John Morant is unbelievable. People knew he was going to be good. No one thought he was going to be this. His first uh, triple-double last night. Yeah. He's that team's gonna be fun to watch. In the, the Grizzlies are legit. They, they're building. Really and the, yeah, they're legit. And I, they got a young coach. They're legit. It, it's exciting, and you are correct that Deion Waiters was waived. Yeah, no, he's so, got there. You yeah, go. No. so there you go. Uh, let's hit one more trade because I definitely want to hit the XFL because that was yeah. fun. Cool. Uh, the Clippers next one. You think? Because big piece for the Clippers. Clippers next. Uh no, dude, they waived the biggest piece. <laughs> that's uh, one way to look at it. I was going to say that the, the Houston one. But that's also you want to touch the Houston? Houston? I'll say. Well, I'll, I'll, then I'll say quickly on the on the Clippers next deal. I like it for the Clippers a lot. Marcus Moore is having a fantastic season, shooting over 40% from three. The Knicks get a first-round pick for it. That's the biggest deal, is that the Knicks were able to make that move, especially letting go of Steve Mills, who did not want to trade Marcus Morris, uh, which would have been inexplicable, being that he's an expiring contract and you're able to get a first-round pick for him. It was a great move for the Knicks. The Knicks. It's a move they had to make, but they They've actually... Never made those no, but that's the thing. They don't make them. It's a smart move. They picked up and an the asset. Clippers blew it and just waved the best part of the whole deal. They, they waved Isaiah Thomas, who they also acquired. I know, heart, heartbreaking for our Put it this way. I was looking up Isaiah Thomas' career stats the other day when I saw he got waived. He averages two points per game less for his career than Andrew Wiggins, and he does mm-hmm. isn't on a team, and Wiggins is on $30 million a year. $170 million contract for Andrew Wiggins. Let just, me know. Just throwing that out there. And then the final trade we'll touch on, Atlanta receives Clint Capella and Nene. Clint Capella, very big piece. Denver gets back some decent role players in uh, Kita Bates Diop out of Ohio State. Gerald Green, Shabazz Napier, Noah Vonley. And a first-round pick. Houston gets Jordan Bell, Robert Covington as they go with centerless basketball and Golden State's second-round pick in 2024. So that one's a little while for that one. What do we think of that deal? I just don't understand it from Houston. It's strange, right? I don't understand why you would, why we, you would move Clint Capella and Nene um, and just not have a center, especially with in the past, maybe when you're playing that Warriors team in the finals in the conference finals every year where they don't really have a center either. But... You have to go through both LA teams with which both have legit big men. How how do you stop Anthony Davis? You just can't. You can't. That's my six problem fouls. with this deal. The tallest player they're rolling out in their starting lineup is Robert Covington at six mm-hmm. seven, and he doesn't even play center. Harden took the tip the other night against Anthony Davis, correct? Yeah. Yeah. I think they played the Lakers. And it's just it sounds like there's getting I mean, too th- caught up in this, analytics. This is where the analytics go too far. You take it to an extent, but when it tells you get rid of the tallest guy on the floor. When the object of the game is to put a ball in a basket, and usually tall people can stop other teams from doing that, that's really good analysis. You, yeah, wait. You kind of should keep one of those guys. You don't need a bunch of them. You need one guy in case you run up against an AD. The other thing is, he's a talented one of those guys. Capella's yes, a very good player. Right I can't say I understand it on Houston's, especially going what you're saying. If you're going up against Anthony Davis. And this is how you're going to play now. You build a team for the playoffs. You know, yeah. and every in every sense, Houston's playing the regular season just to get in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. And wherever they land, they'll figure it out. And that's why they're making any moves that they're making right now. But yeah, if you want to get to the finals, you're running into an LA team at some point. Odds are you're running into the Lakers with the kind of team that they have. How do you stop Anthony Davis? I have no idea. How do you stop LeBron? 
Because let's say P.J. Tucker's on Anthony Davis. You're putting Covington on LeBron. Mm. LeBron gets 40 every night. I mean, like, how? I don't know how you're stopping that team. Westbrook at 60. <laughs> and Westbrook go. takes every shot and yeah. Harden dribbles a lot. I mean, it's just, it's just, I don't know. What that it did make to. sense. There you go. Does that hit everything we wanted to on the NFL? On the NFL. On the NBA? Yeah, Houston stinks. Houston, All right. it, it's it's, it's just it's a terrible. strange it's a strange deal. It really, and for Atlanta, I love it. That that's yeah. gonna be they keep building, and the Hawks are gonna be fun to watch. Atlanta's low key yes, good. That's They're the, favored by nine tonight against the Magic, who are in the playoffs. They, <laughs> Atlanta is a fun team to watch, and they keep building, and it, it's exciting to see what they're building there. But going into miscellaneous, welcome to the XFL 2.0. Opening weekend, uh, the, these past couple days, two games Saturday, two games, two games Sunday, only an eight-team league. What are our initial thoughts on it? I liked it. I definitely better than the AAF. I mean, it was good football. It's it, uh, it's fun to watch guys that you saw in college. You know, to go out there and it's like, oh, I remember him when he played for you know, film whatever college. It's definitely. You know, there is the void of the NFL, you know, not being there. So I definitely kind of did hit in that market. Is it fun to turn on and watch for a little bit? Am I going to sit and watch both, uh, like both games per day? Probably not. Mm -hmm. It is interesting to see all the new rules to see if you watch. I don't know if you guys saw on ESPN, they had the over under on the side. So the really ESPN's kind of playing into, you know, the sports betting and whatnot. Obviously, you can go and you can interview the players during the game, which is, I think, fun and interesting. I think the main thing is, um, is kind of taking everything that the NFL fans don't like and trying to fix that, which, you know, through one week, it was good. Let's see, you know, the continuality of this league, how long it goes for, and if it goes longer than the AAF. Yeah, just to build off that, too, I mean, the the XFL is built as a fundamentally different product than the than the NFL in every sense. They have the new rules. You've, you, you, the, the footballs, even. They have new footballs. footballs are cool. The yeah. fans have all of this insight into, you know, behind the scenes, you know, um, making decisions on the field, wanting to go booth review, talking to players on the sideline. The two big takeaways that I had that I actually really enjoyed from watching these games, um, just, you know, as a casual fan, um, the kickoff rule. I don't necessarily like how when you kick the ball off, the ball has to go past the 25. I don't really understand that. What I do like, though, is putting each team 10 yards apart from each other and you have to wait till the ball is caught. Because every single time a kickoff happened, you're like, oh, is it is it going to go all the way? And then, you know, it, it, it would get tackled or something like that. But... That's a rule, actually, that I could I could see if this league continues. That's something that I think is really, really interesting. And on top of that, what I liked even more was getting insight into um, calls in the field. and boom, yeah, I, boom, boom, I mean, in the NFL, can you realistically do that? I don't really know because the NFL... They should, but they won't. Exactly. Yeah. The NFL is, again, a fundamentally different product than the XFL. But in this kind of league where, you know, maybe the, the play itself, the football itself, isn't as great... You have all these other aspects to it that make it a little more exciting to watch and kind of make up for the lack of actual on-field performance. I liked it too, what you were saying. I thought it was funny. One guy had, he was calling the play and he had the play sheet over his mouth and then they had literally the audio on ESPN. And the other thing was, I don't know if you guys saw the photo of the guy wearing two headsets. You see that one? He had had two headsets on uh, one of the coaches, which was... which was very funny. The defensive coordinator for for the the Vipers. Vipers. Yes, Yes. for the Vipers. And also too, it will... is uh just speaking of it is Mark Trussman. Uh how long you know how is it gonna do with college basketball? Is I don't know when the schedule is, but especially when March Madness it runs comes through out, April. Uh, it's gonna be tough. March yep. Madness is honestly people always say they should do trial run during in between uh is they shoot the trial run uh during the week off from the Super Bowl and then do everything and finish it off literally the week before March Madness. 
is get it out there because obviously everyone's going to be watching March Madness on those weekends. So who's, you know, like as big of a pool that they have watching it now, however big that is, is it'll start to shrink as it starts to get to championship week and March Madness. Yeah, I think that's a very um, good insight where they're capitalizing on uh, this is the first week without the NFL. You capitalize on that market of people not really want to get rid of football yet. But the window's too small before college basketball really yeah. takes takes charge in um, late February and March. Um, so that's a little interesting with uh, just the timing of it because I don't know if you could really theoretically do it over the summer. might have fit better there. But the initial thoughts, I thought it was really good. I mean, the quarterbacks were were actually were better than I thought they, they were would better be. Better than I thought. And then Cardell Jones just lit it up for uh, the DC defenders, right? Mm-hmm. Um, absolutely fantastic. Um, I love how they do the do the spread and the over under, and the announcers aren't afraid to talk about some of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and how just open and it seems like a more casual version of the NFL, which I really enjoy. And yeah, the the whole replay thing of actually being transparent with that and seeing how they go through it, and like, I don't think anybody really had. There was some questionable calls, like I like disagreed with some of the calls that that were made on the field. But once you hear the them actually talk through it, it makes everything make so much more sense. And you're like, okay, like there was one that was um, it was it was a fumble scoop and score, it was a fumble scoop and score, um, with in the New York Guardians Guardians and Vipers uh, Vipers game. Um, I didn't think it was a fumble, but then you go through, you watch, and you could hear an audible gasp from the replay guy being like, I don't know. And then they go with the stands, and you're like, well, clearly he was actually thinking about this and had mm-hmm. had a real thought about it. Um, and then which, with the touchdown, too, he's talking about, do you have yeah. other angles? Because he couldn't really he couldn't see do a good it. angle. And you understand it. why, which why is they cool make to be able to see the certain process. calls instead of the announcers kind of being like, this is what I saw. I'm yeah. probably wrong every time. I'm like, yeah. well... I don't care what Let's you think. Let's bring in that. Mike Pereira. Yeah. Gene, Gene's the man. Shout yeah, out my brother Andrew, who loves Gene. But yeah. There you go. Yeah, Pat, what'd you think? I, you know what? I think that it worked, and I think there is a market for it where they are right now, and that people f- love football. Football is mm-hmm. the number one sport in America right now, and I think people will watch it. Now, I don't think it'll ever get to the level that the NFL is, but it's not trying to, which I think is why there's a chance that this league can succeed because with the first iteration of it, it was very gimmicky. The AAF, a little gimmicky. This was just about playing football and just changing up some of the rules and being innovative. The things that they improved weren't gimmicks. They were like no, legit they, things people liked. I love the like. kickoff thing because what they're doing is they're eliminating those high-velocity hits, which is what everyone's so afraid of, but you still get to have a legitimate kickoff from it. The 25-second play clock is supposed to have more up-tempo. I love the point after touchdown, the one, two, or three that way. I think that's so much more exciting. Coaches still don't understand how Coaches works. still don't understand Especially how to do the math with it. No, exactly. I, I think that's a good rule. The replay stuff's amazing. Like They're doing some things that are smart, and... I like that they're doing that. Now, the biggest thing for this league, first off, they do have the money to succeed, which is one thing that the AF didn't because they're backed by Vince McMahon. They, they're they going to be okay money-wise. I think they will. The, the winning team, you said, splits $100,000. I believe so. Like yeah. They're, they're going to be fine. I think that they have their finances in line. It's the quality of play is going to be able to define this league. If it gets disastrous and you like you're talking about and you've got horrible quarterbacks going out there, the Aaron Murray, that's a tough one for yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, he sucked. It, yeah. it was it was a bad performance from the, the former AF Georgia too. man. Yeah, he did. He was bad in the AF. Then that's it's the biggest hit against this league. If there's decent quality in it, I think people will watch. Now, yes, as you said, moving into March Madness things like that, it's going to be difficult. It, it will. But the championship game, I believe, is the day after the NFL draft. I want to say so. Sure. That's basically the timeline from the season from Saturday until then. 
I think a spring football league can work. I think they have the infrastructure. We'll just see if people stick with it. Well, so too, we're all football guys. Yeah. Is if there's a Philly team, would you go? Conrad, would you go? Yeah, if they were playing the Vipers. Uh, would, would you go? If they were playing the Vipers. <laughs> I, would, I would go. I'd go. Yeah, I would, that's why like all four of us would do. Yeah, all four of us would And that's the thing. And it'd be so much cheaper than it. That's the thing. Game. It would be exactly. cheaper. And I think that if it was a Saturday or a I Sunday. I think we're like the target demographic that's of college kids that don't want to spend a lot to go to a football game. And I would go. That's why. It's literally they hit it perfectly that we would all want to go there. But, Pat, you are right, though. I mean, you can only have so many rule changes and so many on the field interviews. But if the play itself, if you're really trying to cover up for just a poor product that you're putting out there, it's yeah. not going to work. And But early signs, you know, some quarterbacks didn't play well. Mm-hmm. Like you said, well, with the Ohio State. Cardell Jones. Cardell Jones. Yeah. Yeah. 12 gauge. Hey. For Houston, I think, too. Lit, lit it up. Absolutely lit it up. So if you can. Josh Jackson. Washington. Josh Jackson did pretty well, too. You know what they need? They need a James Winston for every single quarterback. <laughs> like, like, in all seriousness. I, they need a guy that's going to throw the ball 50 times a game and just yeah. get points on the board. Don't, yeah, yeah. I'm, still, I'm actually still surprised they haven't gone after a real marquee guy because Cardell Jones is basically the marquee guy in the league He's right the biggest now. guy. He's been out for... He hasn't, he hasn't started. He never started a game in the NFL. He's like 13-0 as a starter. Well, I mean, what marquee guy is going to... 12-0 since high school. Yeah, that's Just, what it's 12-0. You, you think of like the three, and I know it was mentioned on Pardon My Take like this morning. You think of Tim Tebow, Johnny Manziel, yeah. Colin Kaepernick. As three guys, you would think that... I don't think Cap would ever play. I don't, yeah, think, I don't think he will Tebow's either. got his gig in baseball and media. Yep. Johnny, Johnny Manziel's Johnny not allowed football. to play. And Johnny Manziel's Johnny not allowed football. to play. Because they have got, the, the got a conviction. Yeah, because yeah. they have the that rule. But those are the three names that would immediately stick out to you, and it would make sense because you're looking for notoriety. But then, as you said, you walk through and you're like, they don't make that much sense, though, for the league. Yeah. So Also, another thing of the level of football, I honestly think it's almost like a backwards thing of, I think you give this, if since they have the financial backing, you give this a year or two. Then once you get guys like straight out of college that aren't in the NFL, that makes more sense. Because right now it's, oh, this guy played at Georgia five, six years ago. And it didn't work out. I'm going to be honest, guys like me aren't going to remember those guys unless you're like really in the weeds. But if you get a guy that like graduated from Auburn, there's some random running back. Auburn, somebody from like the Notre Dame quarterback, the like Northwestern, the like. There's a guy at Penn State who was good Hackenberg or whatever. Or oh, Trace yeah. McSorley. Yeah. McSorley's on NFL. Like guys yeah. that yeah. clearly yeah. are good enough for the NFL, yeah. but could start here. The other, I think that would make, make it, it more interesting. To your point as well, uh, there is no rule about being out of high school, so players could theoretically come straight out of high school and get paid in the league. Yeah. So I think or you do your two years out of college, and instead of doing the third year, get paid. But the big thing the is watching to make sure it's viable first before you do that. Yes. So they need yeah. to. Establish and I question systems. what their vision is. Like, what's the future yeah. of the XFL? Is the future of the XFL a media product, like similar to like? To like, uh, to like the WWE and wrestling? Mm-hmm. Is it supposed mm-hmm. to be... that's what the first yeah, XFL was. Is it supposed to be a performance or is it supposed to be a minor leagues for the NFL? It's supposed to be, as they put it, for the love of football. And if you know what, they stick with mm-hmm. that, maybe it works. Yeah. Maybe it works. It's but just, you'll see what it comes into. Interesting to watch. Um, one final note, Alex Ovechkin chasing 700 goals this week. He's sitting on 698, playing the Islanders right now. Uh, to my knowledge, he has not scored twice. It was 4-1 Islanders last I checked, and he was Congrats, not a goal Pat. scorer. Yeah, exactly. Congrats, feels, Pat. Feels, feels good there, but Ovechkin should hit 700 soon, and his chase for Wayne Gretzky sitting at 894 with the all-time record would be very interesting to watch. Ovechkin's only 34 years old. Yeah, he's got, so he's got, got he's, oh, wow. And he's on pace to score 60 goals this season. So if he, He's he, not letting up. No, he will not let up. Uh, to quote him, Russian machine never break. My accent can't do it justice for his going through the Russian, but that'll be fun to watch. You had a master shout out, and we'll get out of here. Uh, Fifty-eight days until the Masters. Also, Phil, oh, so close at Pebble Beach. We're, we're but we're very there. close. We're, we're, we're very there. close friends. Any final thoughts? Go Battlehawks. <laughs>
That's taking place in my Bills. Go Bills. Go Guardians. Houston's getting bounced in the first round. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I'll wrap it up. Four-round stripper, Conrad Bayer, Matt Wood, Jack Sherwood. I'm Pat Zang. Thank you so much for listening. We will be back at it Monday night. This is Round Tripper on WXVU. Go Cats.